Welcome to Weber Wenzel Legal Insights. With over 150 years of experience and deep industry knowledge, Weber Wenzel is the leading full-service law firm on the African continent. I think the most important element is to promote arbitration, not necessarily even South Africa as a, as a seat. Of course, we have various recent and not so recent developments, which make us a, a good seat. But it's to promote arbitration as a form of dispute resolution, because we've seen that throughout the world where that has happened, it has led to many beneficial consequences for the region, for commerce, for legal profession, it vitalized arbitration as a meaningful dispute resolution mechanism that competes with the courts at an equal or even better level. Hi, I'm Erin Warmington. I'm a partner in the dispute resolution department here at Weber Wenzel. So in this episode, we're going to delve into the developments of international arbitration on the African continent and in different African jurisdictions, particularly South Africa, because we are based in South Africa and we really believe that South Africa is going to become a crucial hub for international arbitration on the continent. Around the table, we have two experts in international arbitration from Weber Wenzel, that's Vlad Mavsovic and Sarah McKenzie, both partners in our dispute resolution department. And we also have Raquel Silva, who's a managing associate at the Lisbon office at Linklaters, which is Web Wenzel's alliance partner. Raquel's on secondment with us for the next three months and has a different perspective and maybe a European perspective on how international arbitration is developing in South Africa, but also Angola and Mozambique. Is that correct, Raquel? Yes, that's right, Erin. I work for Linklaters in Lisbon, and I'm really happy to be here on this economy for the next uh, three months. And I think it makes all the sense to discuss how arbitration, international arbitration specifically, is evolving in, in Africa. And my input will mostly be for in relation to Mozambique and Angola. So, Vlad, let's get a bit of insights into you and just your international arbitration practice but maybe take us back a little bit and when did international arbitration first pique your interest and what was it about it that made you want to pursue this particular field and expertise? Well, international arbitration, I think, has always been a, an important part of South African arbitration practice. We've had many companies from all over the world investing in South Africa over the years. And they've had many disputes with South African and other companies that have been seated in South Africa. So I think it's always been an intrinsic part of South African dispute resolution practice. But what we've seen is uh, given South Africa's prominent economic role within uh, the African continent, we've seen an uptick in international arbitration cases in general, where third parties are choosing South Africa as a seat of arbitration. And that, I think, is a very exciting development. And I think for all international arbitration practitioners in South Africa, that's something that's endeared them to the field. My particular interest in international arbitration is also, also partly precipitated by treaty arbitration and the two 
cases against uh, the South African government, which have been pursued by investors from European countries. The Foresti uh, that, case. Uh, one of them is the Foresti <laughs> case. Uh, and in the Foresti case, Weber Wenzel and I was integrally involved. That was at the very early parts of my career, uh, certainly international arbitration career, and it's moved on from there. Maybe you can just explain the difference between investor arbitration and commercial arbitration briefly, just so that everyone's on the same page. Yes. So investor state arbitration is uh, under international treaties. A treaty would be signed between country A and country B. If an investor from country A invests in country B and they've been maltreated, then they can pursue arbitration proceedings under that treaty, which is an international uh, document. That is to be distinguished from international commercial arbitrations, which are mainly premised on an agreement between two parties, one of which is based in one country and the other one based in another country, and where they have a commercial dispute, typically contractually so related. As soon as you have some kind of cross-border element in a commercial relationship, you're really looking at international arbitration potentially as a way you will resolve a dispute that comes out of that. I mean, obviously, as the continent gains more investors and there are more multinational companies involved in the continent, that's going to become an obvious kind of issue on their radar when they're considering how that relationship might move forward. Absolutely. Typically, it involves two companies or sometimes individuals from different countries, but it could also involve two companies or individuals from the same country, but where the arbitration is seated in a different jurisdiction and where the subject matter of the dispute is also in a different jurisdiction. So an international element is required, but one element is usually enough to make it an international arbitration. Sarah, I know you did your master's on how South Africa is dealing with international arbitration, but maybe you can just tell us a little bit more about why you chose that particular subject. If I'm right, you did it two years ago? So I thought it would be very interesting to focus my research on investment treaty disputes in South Africa and how South Africa, the South African government has approached the bilateral investment treaties that it has with other states recently. And that's because there's been significant developments in that regard. As Vlad mentioned, the the treaties are between two states and they govern the relationship between the investor and the state that they're investing in and the treatment that's required of that state. And South Africa has taken an interesting approach more recently um, and has been cancelling some of its bilateral investment treaties and has put in place legislation that will deal with the treatment of foreign investors in its stead. And I think it's a critical time for South Africans and investors into South Africa to consider uh, their rights and how those will be protected. Okay, so then we have quite an interesting dynamic here because on the one hand, there seems to be growing investments in the different African jurisdictions. This definitely seems to be international arbitration, at least commercial international arbitration, is something that's on the increase. We see a number of institutions which are being formed, developing their own rules, opening themselves up to really administrate and guide these kind of disputes. But at the same time, we have countries and governments which seem to be backing away from it a little bit. We are proponents of the use of international arbitration as a means of dispute resolution. But maybe recall from your side, you can just speak about how, in your experience, your clients, investors into 
other African countries, why they think international arbitration is something worth using, but also maybe some of the, the reticence that they have towards international arbitration or just disputes generally um, in African jurisdictions. I would start by saying that the traditional advantages of arbitration will also apply when you choose to arbitrate in Africa. But in Africa, I think that one of the concerns that especially foreign investors have is just the fact that they don't know what to expect or how courts will react if they have the need to sue the states where they invest in their jurisdictions and investors, what they also want is clarity and, uh, and to know what to expect when they make their investment. And so one of the things, and I think we can point out many advantages and many reasons to choose arbitration, but I think the one I would point out is the fact that arbitration helps to level the fields between foreign investors and states as um, naturally it's expected that uh, states will have or even local companies will have a better understanding of of the court system of that country and so foreign investors seems to start at a different level and so i think arbitration just helps to change that dynamics yeah sarah what do you think? Completely agree with Raquel. The only thing I would add, I think that drives a lot of our clients towards arbitration, particularly from a foreign investment perspective, is enforcement. Arbitration awards are far more readily enforced than court orders across a majority of states because of the New York Convention. Another thing I think that our clients are particularly concerned about generally is confidentiality. And the arbitration realm enables parties in the majority of cases, not all cases, to create a regime where their dispute will be behind closed doors, whereas the court system doesn't allow that. Maybe Vlad, from your perspective, what do you think still needs to happen? We have a number of different forums, a number of different sets of rules that are in place for different investors, uh, commercial parties to make use of if they want to use international arbitration. But do you think that we have the tools at our disposal now or do you think there's still something that needs to happen, maybe in South Africa particularly, but maybe in other African jurisdictions to ensure that investors feel that they've They've pretty much got what they can use to put them in the best position possible. I think there's um, an anterior question here as to what makes a jurisdiction an appropriate arbitration base. And the overarching consideration is safety. So legal safety and physical safety. Those are two critical considerations. So it has to be convenient from a legal perspective. Now, what makes a, a jurisdiction convenient from a legal perspective? It has to have good legislative framework that supports arbitration. It has to have a judiciary that buys into that framework and allows parties to arbitrate to the maximal scope that's uh, envisaged in commercial and that transaction. that to the certainty that Raquel spoke about Absolutely. and enforcement, which was there. No support by the arms of government for arbitration and arbitration is often seen as a, as a dangerous option for you. But in comparison to maybe resorting to local courts, do you think people still prefer arbitration? Absolutely. It's, it's relative. But in the international arbitration scene, you have many options. And this is what we've seen. In many contracts, one party might be based in Ghana, another one in Nigeria, but they might prescribe a third 
jurisdiction as their preferred seat because you don't have to have arbitrations seated in the place where you are. Uh, so you're competing with the world when you're competing in the international arbitration space. And that's why uh, a relative safety of arbitration versus the courts sometimes isn't enough. You need to go a step further and make it secure from an international standard perspective. And that's critical. And I think South Africa has been taking steps in that regard to move towards creating a, a safe space or at least to showcase ourselves as a safe space. Because I think all practitioners in South Africa have known for decades that it is a safe arbitration venue. So that's the legal on the legal side. Then on the logistical side, safety means convenience in the broader sense. And I think an arbitral venue has to be convenient. So a lot of it is logistical requirements. Some of it is personal safety, but a lot of it is about how easy it is to navigate uh, the country, how good your connections are, uh, how well are you connected with foreign jurisdictions, how easy is it to get witnesses here, how easy is it to navigate within the country. I think South Africa is is uh, well placed from a logistical viewpoint in general, and it's certainly in Southern Africa it's a hub, but we're also well connected with the rest of the world. The reason why many jurisdictions in Europe have that appeal is not only because of the political and legal safety, it's because they are central, en route to many other places. In the African context, I think a place like South Africa and a number of other African uh, jurisdictions are well placed to take advantage of that regional proximity by having solid legal frameworks. So Sarah, Vlad mentioned a number of developments in South Africa, and maybe you can speak to the recent ones. But then also maybe your opinion on whether that really puts South Africa, as Vlad was saying, the international playing field. Are we in the, the same kind of space as maybe London or Paris or Singapore, which are more have a historical reputation for being kind of centers, uh, seats for international arbitration? So I think the biggest development that's taken place recently is that our International Arbitration Act has come into force. The International Arbitration Act adopts the UNCTRAL model law and also brings South Africa's ratification of the New York Convention into force, um, which we believe really puts us in line with international best practice in relation to international arbitration and will allow us to provide a legislated safe seat for international arbitrations that take place in South Africa. So that deals with the legislative safety that Vlad mentioned. I think we already have a very, very strong arbitration tradition in South Africa with a sophisticated legal fraternity to back any arbitrations. Our courts recognize it fully and understand the intricacies of complex commercial arbitrations. And most importantly, that they should play a supporting role and not an interventionist role. And I think that's going to be key going forward. We firmly believe that South Africa is a viable alternative to the traditional seats. And of course, given our proximity to disputes on the continent, we think regionally we, we really are a good option. Raquel, maybe you can bring us up to speed on your thoughts on Angola and Mozambique. Do you think that they've done what is necessary. I know Mozambique and what I've read and keep up to date with seems to be uh, the more favored of the two. I don't know if it's worth comparing them in any way. 
But are either of those two countries, from your experience, places which you would recommend to your clients as seats for international arbitration? I think there's a general move all over Africa to make it more arbitration friendly. For example, in Angola, they become a contracting state to the New York Convention on the recognition and enforcement of foreign arbitral awards in June 2017. And so um, this will make it easier for investors to enforce their arbitral awards in Angola. So it's a very positive news for investors. And it's also a positive sign in relation to how Angola is seeing and is positioning itself in relation to international arbitration. And there are a number of other examples, not only in Angola and Mozambique, that show this trend. For example, in uh, November 2017, I think, the OADA, the Organization for the Harmonization of Business Law in Africa, revised its Uniform Act in Arbitration in line with modern um, rules and providing a more efficient uh, procedure and framework for investors that want to arbitrate using those rules in, in those countries. The big question mark, I think, is how this will all be applied in practical terms, how the new regulation will be interpreted and applied by courts. And going back to what Vlad said earlier, I think that understanding court's position in relation to arbitration, how friendly they are. It's even more important than infrastructures because you can imagine having an arbitration in Paris or London and having the hearing in another country, but the seat will dictate which courts are going to support the proceedings if needed, which courts will ultimately decide on the validity of the awards. And so the big question here is what's the position of the courts from these countries in relation to arbitration? And what we are seeing is that we don't have enough data so far to frankly give an honest and concrete answer to that question. And that's a concern for investors. Clearly, they would rather go with a jurisdiction where they feel that they have enough information to make a call, at least or be able to attempt to predict if they will be supported, if they're successful. The choice on the seat depends on a number of factors, I would say. If the dispute is considerable, if it's too complex, if the amounts at stake are really big, then I think investors will prefer to go for a jurisdiction that has a well-known track record on arbitration, where they know how their arbitration are going to be handled, what to expect. But again, I think it's a question of parties to really understand uh, what their dispute is about and then choose according to their needs. Because obviously, if costs are a concern, then having a dispute in Paris or in London may just not make sense. Sarah Vlad, anything you want to add? So I fully agree with Raquel. And I'd add that we've run a number of proceedings recently in other jurisdictions where it was a little bit touch and go. And we, we didn't really have a sense of what the court was going to find. And that can be really, really nerve wracking. We did one recently where we were asking a court 
in another African state to order a stay of local court proceedings pending an arbitration because the dispute was subject to an arbitration clause. And it took many, many months to get an outcome. Thankfully, it was positive for us, but it can be a real issue for the parties in a dispute if you've got to go through steps like that and you're not clear on what the local courts are likely to do. So then how do we overcome that situation where no one is willing to trust um, their disputes to a local African jurisdiction where these uh, different jurisdictions and institutions are doing their best to put themselves forward as a viable option? Well, sometimes the jurisdictions try to compensate for any lack of a track record by giving assurances to investors from a political standpoint that uh, that the government is fully behind a particular initiative and they set up a parallel set of courts or they train their judges to respect arbitrations and they put in place laws that make it absolutely clear that judges' interference will be minimal. Um, if and, I'm right, so I think Nigeria has taken quite a lot of steps. Nigeria has taken steps. Uh, Rwanda has taken steps in that regard. Obviously, Mauritius has taken steps. Uh, South Africa, to a certain extent, also. But we don't need to assure anyone of the sanctity of our courts because our courts have actually been at the forefront of securing arbitrations for, for decades. And the legislature has just caught up. Those are the kinds of moves that are taking place. Also, at a regional and continental level, there are now groupings or arbitration associations being set up, one of which is the African Arbitration Association, where we are also uh, integrally involved. We have initiatives to put in place standards for arbitration and guidelines for arbitration throughout the African continent and to train governments and judges through specific initiatives in arbitration practice, in, specifically in international arbitration practice. But yes, you're quite right that it's a, it's a bit of a vicious circle that you don't have enough arbitration, so you don't have a track record and no one is willing to trust you with that to gain the requisite experience, which will make you a more trustworthy jurisdiction. If I can just add, something that we are seeing is a tendency for some states um, in African countries to really insist with foreign investors to have the arbitrations in their country. So just to insist to have a seat in Africa. At the very least, if they cannot agree in having a local institution, what they are really pushing to have is to have their ICC or their LCIA arbitration, but with a seat on the country. Obviously, we will not see these clauses into practice for some time now because I think it's still a recent tendency. But um, if they are accepted by investors in time, we'll definitely see more arbitrations taking place with the seat in Africa. Maybe I can suggest a scenario in that international arbitration used to be the realm of really big multinational corporations, mines, oil and gas companies where maybe costs and logistics weren't an issue for them. And maybe they they were likely based in really large cities like London and Paris to begin with. But international arbitration is within the scope now of smaller companies and their disputes are smaller, making the regional aspect of that dispute maybe their only real solution. I think that's right, Erin. And I think that one thing a lot of people maybe don't realize is how broadly international arbitrations are defined. In our South African legislation, it's defined, as we discussed a little earlier, to include 
any arbitration or any dispute that has essentially a contract with an element that is extraterritorial in some way. So countries in different jurisdictions, sometimes even the subject of the contract being in a different jurisdiction to the countries. So more often than not, we find that our arbitrations are in fact international, whether we knew it or not. And I think the important thing that our clients and investors should take note of is that there are particular consequences to the fact that an arbitration is international, that it's it's very helpful to be aware of right up front. So let's consider maybe how certain aspects of an international arbitration might also have a bearing on where you choose to have that dispute decided. And I was thinking of arbitrators and the choice of law. Practically, you would want an arbitrator who understands the law that is governing the particular agreement and has a lot of expertise in deciding disputes that are governed by that law. So if you have an arbitration that's governed by South African law, you would prefer to have a South African arbitrator. I don't know, maybe people have different views on that and you don't feel that your arbitrator needs to be particularly a fay with the law that governs the agreement. Many of the African disputes uh, where you have, uh, let's say, uh, one of the harder region legal systems applying, you would typically have someone from the Ahada region being appointed as an arbitrator, usually an eminent jurist from one of the other jurisdictions in the Ahada region. So we're seeing more and more that trend developing. Um, in South African context, of course, we've never had a problem with this because there's a, usually a bountiful supply of lawyers uh, trained in South African law who could be arbitrators. In fact, I've never had an arbitration governed by South African substantive law, which wasn't presided over by a South African. What do you think, Akal? Do you think your arbitrator should be an expert in the law that is governing the contract? Or is that not necessarily a big issue for... I think that the choice of the arbitrator can be driven by a number of reasons. Sometimes the knowledge of the law, it's the most important factor. And well, if it's a very technical matter. It's not exactly parties that have experience in arbitration, sometimes the law can just be treated like another fact that needs to be proven and explained to the tribunal. So I think it very much depends on the dispute. But one one aspect, I think, as we are speaking about the choice of the arbitrator, that I think it's worth mentioning is that it doesn't seem to be an increase in the number of um, arbitrators from African countries being appointed in arbitrations that are clearly increasing. And um, if we look, for example, to the International Chamber of Commerce statistics for 2018, we can see that the tendency to have arbitration with uh, parties national from African countries keeps increasing. But the number of arbitrators being appointed from those countries does not seem to be increasing, at least not at the same rate. Do you have any insights as to maybe why? This is a broader problem in international arbitration, also a hot topic, I think. Uh, the need to just open the arbitral community to other practitioners. The arbitral community internationally is usually pointed out as being very closed. 
not only in terms of the seats, as we have been discussing so far, but also in terms of the people, the, the arbitrators that are usually appointed to specific arbitrations. And I think that's also part of the problem when we look at the nationalities of the arbitrators being being appointed. We can also consider other factors, uh, as Vlad said, uh, more information, engaging uh, the local communities in the broader debate on international arbitration that can also help. But I think it's also a problem, a broader problem and an issue that needs to be addressed in terms of diversity in the current arbitral community. Let's maybe speak about South Africa and South African arbitrators, what steps they might need to take to avail themselves of a more international audience. I think it is clearly a systemic problem in the international arbitration community. And I think it's partly because players in the international market are not necessarily exposed to the skills that are available in Africa and in South Africa, of course. I think it's probably a matter of trying to ensure that there's an awareness created. And that's probably through interactions and making sure that people people are engaging. Some good old marketing skills. Good old marketing skills and I think opportunities as well. If people are given one opportunity to prove themselves and they do, then the door is suddenly open. So there is a bit of a need from Africa's perspective or African practitioners' perspective for the international community to give people opportunities. And of course, it's not a handout exercise. It's opportunities to deserving people who have the necessary skills. It needs to be driven by the community and the institutions need to take it seriously. And there, as Raquel said, it's certainly a hot topic. So hopefully we will see some traction in the coming years. Um, and so it's definitely an issue we, we should address. And I think the international community is trying to address it because it's, I think we all agree that diversity, more diversity into the pool of arbitrators will definitely help. And it will be a very positive thing to bring people with different insights, different perspectives, different experiences to decide uh, disputes. And that's also um, one of the points where I see having South Africa and all the countries uh, in Africa as hubs for arbitration also as a positive, a very positive aspect. So, so maybe we should just punt out Johannesburg Arbitration Week, which unfortunately has just been postponed because of the coronavirus, but it'll be taking place next year. I expect that in attendance will be a number of practitioners who are arbitrators, maybe more from the South African perspective, but certainly able to take on international arbitrations. So South Africa has taken some big steps to position itself well to become the international arbitration hub it really wants to be. How can local firms, but since that we're part of Weber Wenzel, how can Weber Wenzel really take the steps to, I guess from its side, ensure that South Africa is a success in this regard. Okay, so I think Web Wenzel has really been taking the lead in making sure that South Africa is positioned properly in the market. We've been integral in trying to ensure that the right message is being sent about um, South Africa as a potential arbitral seat and venue indeed. We've put a lot of effort into ensuring that our clients are properly advised in relation to the viability of South Africa as an alternative seat so that it's clear that they're not confined to the traditional, more traditional seats. And I think that there will hopefully be a slow and steady change to recognizing that African arbitrations can take place in Africa. 
I think the most important element is to promote arbitration, not necessarily even South Africa as a, as a seat. Of course, we have various recent and not so recent developments, which make us a, a good seat. But it's to promote arbitration as a form of dispute resolution. Because we've seen that throughout the world where that has happened, it has led to many beneficial consequences for the region, for commerce, for legal profession. It vitalized arbitration as a meaningful dispute resolution mechanism that competes with the courts at an equal or even better level. And that's what you need. You need to inculcate trust in the mechanism of dispute resolution. And then it will almost inescapably spread throughout the commercial world because in commerce there's no such thing no one is concerned about sovereign interests in commerce in commerce they are only concerned about getting the right result within the time that they need to to meet their commercial objectives that's what arbitration promises to do arbitration is also a relatively nascent development in the western world it's only at the end of the 19th century that the first thinking about arbitration as a viable commercial alternative to courts took hold and it developed very slowly for the first few years only took effect really from the 1960s onwards and has accelerated uh, more recently. And uh, Africa is just on a different, slightly earlier stage of, of that development. And I think the more we promote arbitration uh, within our own practices, one of which is, of course, including arbitration clauses and commercial agreements, uh, and then uh, being creative with the kind of arbitral seats that we choose, and promoting arbitrations for general dispute resolution, even when uh, court processes are the prescribed form under the contract in question. So it is within the power of practitioners, actually. And what Raquel was saying about the diversity, the reason why we have arbitrators whom we do is because the practitioners who support the arbitration trust those arbitrators. I don't think it's a bias. I think all practitioners want the best result for their client and they want to put the dispute in the hands of someone whom they trust. It's really spreading arbitration as a practice and then, and then the rest will follow. So first and foremost, because you decide what is going to govern your dispute way up front when you enter into an agreement with another party, you have to get good legal advice as to what that arbitration clause will look like if arbitration firstly or international arbitration is the correct mechanism and all the factors that go into that. And so this actually needs to be a thought that's foremost in any commercial party's mind, um, even long before they unfortunately have to come to the realization that maybe there is a dispute or the agreement is not going the way that they had hoped. Um, I think that's right, Erin. I think the parties really need to take the crafting of their dispute resolution clauses seriously because it can have a serious impact on the way the dispute progresses and is ultimately determined. All of the elements need to to work. Um, they need to work together and thought needs to be given to the clause right up front. I completely agree both with Vlad and Sarah. I think that's also an area where lawyers, uh, Weber ones or Linklaters, like lawyers that usually work both in the um, arbitration part, but also in the transactional, in the negotiation part of contracts, have a role to play. Obviously, we know that um, the dispute resolution clause, it's not 
at the front of uh, companies' minds when they are negotiating a contract. They want to make the deal. They don't want to think about disputes. But that's where we as lawyers, as uh, corporate lawyers, can do something different. We can ensure by discussing the clause and explaining the consequences to clients of choosing a specific uh, set of rules, choosing a specific seat for the arbitration. That will definitely help to improve the experience they then have when the dispute arises and they have to arbitrate. If their experience is a good one, that will also ultimately add and and help to promote arbitration uh, within the parties that are ultimately going to use it. Thank you everyone for joining this conversation. I really appreciate you taking the time and offering all your expertise to make this a really interesting podcast. This has been Weber Wenzel Legal Insights. Our executive producer is Paula Ewens. This podcast is produced for Weber Wenzel by volume. I'm your host, Erin Warmington, and thank you for listening. You have been listening to Weber Wenzel Legal Insights. You can find and subscribe to the podcast on all major platforms. For more expert legal insights and updates, visit WeberWenzel.com.